Hey, what's up guys? This is Derek here from Fanholes Podcast. I just wanted to give a brief little minor correction introduction here before we start the episode. Ultraman Nexus, at the time of the recording, was up and available on TV Nihon as a fan sub, but in between the interim of us recording and or editing the episode, as we surmised and speculated, it is now available up legally on Crunchyroll for people to watch. So just keep that in mind when you're listen to the episode and the stuff on TV Neon has actually been taken down. So I just wanted to give everybody a heads up. Thanks, man. Enjoy the show. It's Super Podcast Time! Hey guys, thank you for coming back to the Fanholes Podcast. We enjoy you guys just every week with all our new different series we got going on. This is one of the different ones we got. We got Toku Thursdays going on right now. And I got a good friend of me right here. We're going to talk about two different shows today. It's kind of mixing it up with the Toku formula that we usually do. We've been doing doing Gaim for a while. We want to do something different, something kind of new, something you know interesting and fresh. And it's just kind of a dare, I think. And it was like kind of a fun dare. Because our good friend, and go ahead and introduce yourself, sir. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Derek, Derek WC. Yeah, Derek and me. This is Tony, obviously. We uh, both have our favorite shows that we like. I, I kind of got Derek into Common Rider, but he was already a fan, kind of already. But he is a big fan of Ultraman. I've seen Ultraman Tiga on, like, Foxbox, but that's not really Ultraman. It's probably the worst example of Ultraman. And we kind of decided to exchange things. I started watching Common Rider Agito which is kind of a fun show. I'm not very that deep into it, so I think this is a new thing for me. And Derek has seen the show we're going to do later on. It's called Ultraman Nexus, which I have no idea what that was about until I watched the first episode. So we're kind of going to go back and forth and it compare and contrast notes and like see something new from a different person's eyes. He hasn't seen the Gita before. I haven't seen Nexus. So I, we thought this would be kind of a fun episode for Toku Thursdays just to kind of get something new out there yeah i think i think i think it's gonna be kind of like a, a swap but i was kind of surprised like i don't think we we planned it this way but i think it's kind of a happy <laughs> accident that the, yeah. the shows have similar themes in in certain ways or at least certain tropes are, are similar as far as what i can see from watching the first episode of Agito and then revisiting the first episode of Nexus. So I, I think this should be fun. Yeah, I agree totally. It's like I, I didn't plan it either. I was like, oh, I've been watching Agito. You want to watch this, Derek? And he was just like, yeah, I know you don't watch you know, a lot of Ultraman. Why don't you watch Nexus? And the first episode of Nexus, I was like, that is, there's there's some odd similarities here. Yeah. So, yeah. So that was that was like kind of, like Derek said, a very happy coincidence. Kamen Rider Agito is actually one of the earlier Heisei-era versions of Kamen Rider. And basically, it's kind of like, it's kind of interesting because the Kamen Rider before this was Kuga. And this is it's very complicated. I'm not going to give you a whole bunch of like backstory and like bog you down with it because nobody wants to hear that. But Kuga came before this, and he was known as Unknown Number 4. And then when we start the series, 
we have these unknown entities coming about again. And like originally what we have as our like I guess you would say hero is the G3 armor. The G3 armor is is a common rider, but not really. He's kinda like a cop and he's you know he's 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 not like the the spiritual version of a common rider. He's like the like, you know, man made version. Makoto Hikawa. Hiwakawa Hiwaka. Yeah. Hard to say. Hikawa, yeah. What do you think of Hikawa? Yeah. What do you think of seeing him away for the first? I thought it was kind of cool. He looked like a Robocop. My 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 first impression was I I was and this is not like an insult because I think the armor looks cool, but I I thought like who who's the guy in the big bad Beetleborg armor because you know it's kind of <laughs> blue and everything like like that's that's what the first impression I got and I I could see that they're you know in the, the introductory scene they introduced the character Hikawa and he's. I, I don't know. I took him to be. I, I I saw a lot of Green Lantern parallels in this, and I kind of took him to be kind of like the straight laced Hal Jordan type guy. Like he he clearly is one of the main protagonists, but he's not the only main protagonist, and he certainly isn't the title character. So I I was just kind of thinking like, okay, I can see they're training him in this this armor, and it's kind of a prototype, this G three armor, and you know it looks like it. I mean at least. From, from their their tests, it looks like it's working out pretty swimmingly, but then when he yeah, gets... Yeah, like well, that's what, I, that's what I thought about the Robocop. He has, like, the, the, the ultra-aiming thing where he's like... You know, that kind of thing, yeah. Yeah, it seems like it's working out pretty great in testing, but then I guess when he gets it out into the field, it doesn't work out quite the way they planned. Yeah, and there's also kind of like a subplot with this series. And again, I've not gone deep in the series, so I don't know the whole subplot. After that, he meets up with Sakiko Mikumo, and it's the O-Parts Research Department. And apparently, they've got this weird-ass machine. It looks like, kind of, I mean, this is not a religious thing. It just looks like a cross. It really does. It's a, it's a cross shape. And it's got all these little winding knobs on it, and they're basically deciphering it because they say it's a puzzle. And it's, you know, the super ancient puzzle that they're trying to unlock. Which I, I think that was kind of like kind of a cool X Files thing. I, I kind of like that. Yeah, at first I thought like it looked kind of like it reminded me of like when Khan like twists the little knobs on the Genesis device or whatever. Like I, I think when the little, <laughs> yeah. I, I guess the 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 way they find that is there's some kind of like tornado or tidal wave or something like that, and it basically washes all this stuff up on a Japanese shore. And and there's that odd scene that. It, you know, maybe might be reminiscent, I guess, depending on what era of Japan you grew up in. But, like, th there's that sequence where the kid's about to play with the little Genesis device puzzle thing. And then his father, I think, is like, you know, oh, my God, what are you touching that for? What are you crazy? And, like, I even had the same <laughs> yeah. thought. I was like, dude, kid, you're going to fucking blow yourself up. Like, stop fucking with that <laughs> thing. You know, and, and I guess it's not a bomb, but that was my first impression was like dude don't twist that like you're gonna blow yourself the fuck up like leave that shit alone kid like but but i guess it is like this kind of alien rubik's cube that i guess is is being assigned to the the agency that built the g3 armor so there's that one i don't remember her name but there's that one scientist who's a friend of hikawa that is is uh you know super excited uh, about the, the female is uh, sakiko Sakiko, like Sakiko, is super excited about being able to, uh, I guess, use you know, basically use a brute force computer attack to try and you know get the password, basically. 
Yeah, yeah, they're, they're trying to deep blue the uh, chest thing, yeah, pretty much. It, it, it's cool, though, it's kind of like, you know, and add a little later to this first episode, which is like, there's a lot a lot in this episode. And then we go to, because, you know, why not? Let's have schoolgirls playing volleyball. <laughs> and they're, they're playing volleyball and stuff, and one of the uh, students, Shoko, I didn't say that right, it's S-H-O-U-K-O, Shoko or Shoku. She misses the ball and it rolls off. And she runs off to get it, and then... This is where this show gets kind of dark. Because she finds a corpse in a tree, and the, the corpse has been wedged into, like, a knot hole. And I thought that was kind of, like, not so much disturbing. I've seen worse in horror films, but for uh, kind of a primetime TV show, that's a grisly death, you know? Yeah, at first I was kind of thinking it was just, like, a dead kid hanging from a tree. But, like, as you get further into it, it's it's almost, like, worse than that. Because... It's like you're you're almost like how the fuck did they get him in there? Like I mean that's what that's what everybody like basically there are multiple deaths as you continue watching the episode, but the the commonality seems to be like an arm swinging from some kind of hole in the tree. It's like it's like the opposite of Winnie the Pooh, you know, getting the honey <laughs> jar. You know, it's like instead of him putting his poo hand into the hole to get the honey jar it's like the poo hand is just hanging out of a hole like sitting there like dangling and you're like wait a minute how did you get that fat fucking bear into that skinny little tree like i don't get it and it's like all you can think of is oh man somebody squished up poo but good and like yeah it does have that overtone of there's some nasty crunchy contortion going on to to make that possible however it was done yeah it's 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 kind of grisly it's it's it is disturbing a little bit for, like, this kind of show. But, it, it, again, we, we've stated it many times, like, Kamen Rider and even the Sentai series, they're they're a little bit darker than the American exports that we've seen, especially Power Rangers. We didn't really get a lot of Kamen Rider over here, so it, it definitely kind of, I guess you would say, up to the ante. Anyway, at the Shirokita College, we have a professor who is Misugi, and he's talking over stuff with his essay, uh, students over uh, paranormal extrasensory perception and basically he's saying that these guys could actually like you know see like divinate the future he like holds up cards and stuff and it's kind of funny because uh his daughter apparently can but um we'll find out more about that at a later date shuichi sugami comes in he is a kind of interesting character and we'll see where that goes later on and he gives them the books that the doctor needs and he's like, I'm cooking dinner tonight, you know? He's like, and that's Dr. Kunita. And he's like, well, we're going to just get, you know, take out and Shoichi leaves. And then we get into, introduced to another character. This this first episode is really dense. And there's a lot of introductions. We have Ryo or Ro. It depends on how you want to say it. He comes in on his motorcycle and then encounters uh, Shoichi. And they see people passing for the band. They pass by each other. And they both kind of give each other, like, the look. They're like, what's with you? You know? It's like, was that, like, too heavy on the foreshadowing, Derek? Or do you think that was that was just right? No, I mean, it, it was fine. I think, I, I think when you're introducing this many main characters, I guess you have to have a lot of those visual clues. Like, I, I don't know. The, 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 my comparisons still stand because I ended up thinking that Hikawa was like Hal Jordan. And, and I kind of thought Shoichi was kind of the, this amnesiac Kyle Rayner type character. You know, he's a little more younger. He's he's kind of, you know, I don't know, starry-eyed type 
kid. And, and, and he doesn't, I don't know, it's weird, the, the, the doctor is watching over him, but he, I don't know, there, there, I, I, maybe it's something I'm missing in Japanese culture or something, but it, it was one of those things where he walked in the room, he's kind of like this little bishy kid, and then he's talking to this older man about, you know, dinner later on in the evening. Yeah. <laughs> the students go, is that your son? And he says, no, 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 I, I'm just, you know, responsible for him, you know, because of circumstances. But he doesn't really go into detail yeah, about why or, or what the circumstances are. And the students are polite enough not to pry. And, and you're left kind of wondering, okay, so he, he's not his son, but he's treating him like a son. But he's also dismissive of the cooking. Like, I mean, you kind of you zoomed over that. But, but like, my impression was he's kind of like... I'm cooking dinner tonight, and and the yeah, yeah. professor's kind of like, oh well, then I'm getting takeout. You know, basically like your cooking sucks. You know, like that that was the yeah. take I got out of it. You know, like and 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 there was that kind of weird moment of disappointment. Like maybe he's trying to repay him for for looking out for him because he's an amnesiac and doesn't remember who he is or where he comes from. But yet he can't do that because the professor's kind of got to stick up his ass or whatever, you know, like that was the, the vibe I got between their interactions. Uh, uh, Rio, I guess. It kind of cuts off like Guy Gardner in a way. Yeah. Yeah. That, that, that was, that was my take was he was the Guy Gardner. I mean, he, 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 well, I mean, I guess, you know, you know, spoilers or whatever, at some point he does kind of go comatose. So there is that similarity with Guy Gardner and, and, and they do seem to be sort of rivalish, you know, that, that, that passing ships in the night moment where it's like, they're both walking down the staircases at the university or whatever. And they, they both have that, like you said, they give each other the look or they have the, it's like they have the, the Gundam, you know, new type tingle between the two of them where they just, they, they yeah. somehow they're, they're peripherally aware of one another, but they don't exactly, you know, look each other eye to eye and shake hands and all that. It's just like this kind of thing of, I have this weird feeling and it's like, I have this weird feeling yeah. too. And they both kind of notice one another independently of the other, even though they're sort of, you know, walking up and down the same staircase together. So there is that, that kind of moment where you're like, Oh, well they're, they're at the very least, you know, it kind of sets up their contemporaries. They're probably around the same age. They're both young guys and they both sort of have this sense of, of one another that this weird connection. Yeah. They're going to be important to one another later in the show. So, yeah, I mean, I, I, I suppose I can see what you're saying. Like, maybe it is a, a little too heavy, but it's not like it was anything that, that bothered me or hurt my nuts or anything like that. I was like, no, I get it. I mean, it's... Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It, it, it's not done badly. It's just like, you know, in describing it, it may sound dense, but if you watch it, it yeah, it does flow a lot better than how it's described. So, yeah. Later on, Shuichi meets Mana. Mana is also an important character we'll get to know later on. She's actually the daughter of Professor. My take on that was, was I was like, dude, you should totally hit that, Shuichi. Like, <laughs> like you should totally hit that. It, it's, it's funny, we, were, we may do this show at some point. Ghost is currently airing on TV Nihon, like it's in Japan right now, it's the current commentary show. And one of Derek's biggest days is like, there's no cute girls in this. Does this fit your uh, cute girl quotient? I mean, she's fine. Like, like it's one of those things where you're like sitting there going, okay, well, I get it. Maybe he's a little older. Like, he's college age. 
maybe oh, she's yeah. like a high school girl or something like that but at the same time you're just sitting there going well, i don't see too much wrong with her like she just seems like she's really into him and she's like well if you you know if you regain your memory and you turn out to be rich and powerful and all this cool stuff like you should totally marry me you know and it's like one of those things where you're like hey you know that's not that there are worse things in the world you know than than peter yeah. parker being accosted by gwen stacy and mary jane at the same time you know so it, it seems to be like one of those situations where you're like hey like he's got a, a cute girl that really likes him like there, there could be worse things in your life you know yeah and when you were talking about like how mama says uh he's like a wealthy person then she should marry him he should marry her he also like one of his biggest fears that's kind of a thing throughout the series i guess so far again like i said i haven't seen this way all the way through he, he's like what if i'm a criminal what if i'm like some horrible person and you know he's like you know uh, he's worried about that and she's like he, he she sees the good in him and, and you know she she goes in and takes off and shoichi's like man i don't know if i even want to remember it might be better not to even know that we we cut back to uh rhino and apparently he's a a, a pretty good swimmer he's in like a college swim team and he's found my coach and you know he's like kind of out of it and he's like swim practice is is done over with and he's like you know dude take take some time off he, he mentions to right and i was like what about the car accident you're into you know it's like and he's like no it's it's, it's okay let me swim one more lap and that kind of gives us more again that that guy garner thing is like you know I'm tough. I can do this. You know, don't bother me. You know, that kind of that uh, headstrong, you know, kind of stubborn mentality. I did kind of wonder because they tried to visually show us like what happened in his accident that they're referring to. And I, yeah, I, kind I of mean, vague. Yeah. I, I don't know. I I mean, I, I get that it's supposed to be serious, but I did kind of yuck it up. Like, I was like, what the fuck were you doing, dude? You were driving against traffic. Like, what do you expect to happen? And he's on, like, a little yeah. motorcycle, and there's this huge-ass fucking truck. And I'm just kind of like, come on, dude. Like, figure it out, man. <laughs> yeah. I'm just like, if the, it's kind of like one of those things. It's like, if there's a rhinoceros charging towards you, maybe you should get the fuck out of the way. But, you know, whatever. I, I'm probably being too too hard on it but but that that flashback did crack me up a little bit yeah it, it, it was yeah it was a little like it wasn't heavy-handed it was just kind of silly it really was no 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 it's just one of those things where you know they had to show like oh there was an accident but they didn't have the money to like show an accident so it was just like this shot of like him on his bike and then a shot of the big truck and then a shot of his face going like <gasps> you know and that kind of shit where you're just kind of like come on dude like you had like fucking 20 minutes to fucking move the bike out of the way at that point but you know in, in the in the context of the story I guess you're supposed to think you know it happened so suddenly and you know there was nothing he could do you know and that's that's what caused the accident but you know whatever I just I the, the way it was shot doesn't give you that impression so it makes it a little funny yeah it's it's yeah it's it's interesting scene if nothing else after we cut from that because like i said we're, we're we're pretty much developing three characters right now we go back to the police department which is where hikawa works at and he's talking to the uh, g3 engineer sumiko and they're, he's basically like you know saying like what happened at the school you know this this kid who was put into a tree and they they kind of reveal that he really should have been there at all you know he should have been in that place at that time and stuff and basically it it basically quickly cuts to the psyche family which is where that boy was the son of this family he was the youngest son and there's a wife and there's a husband the husband's all, all like trying to get ready for work and he's like 
he's not being an ass, but he's just got to get ready for work, and the, the wife is being kind of a doting, you know, mom type. It, nothing seems really weird. And then he walks out. Really, really, I, I, I thought, I thought it was weird to begin with. Like he seemed a little like, you know, if, if, if that bedraggled wife didn't make him his coffee, just pipe, piping hot, he was gonna like, you know, I don't know, smack her or something. I don't know. I just got that vibe. Like she seemed so, yeah, sure. so haggard. You know, like, like that, that if she did something wrong, you know, I don't know. I just got the, the vibe that like if something was just off, he was one of these like anal retentive kind of husbands that would like go off on her if if she you know i don't know put a sugar cube out of place or something like i i i i don't have any like i can't point to any evidence to it but other than like the acting like that's just how i felt like that that it seemed like she was she was very kind of like you know oh here here's this here's this and then she sort of gets distracted and he's like come on come on like give me the fucking umbrella or whatever the fuck it was that she was holding for him you know and it's like you know snap out of it woman like you know that kind of thing and and, and it was just like <laughs> it, it could have been nothing but i just got the vibe like oh well it, it seems like it was one of those kind of relationships where she was very subservient to to his you know dominant husband whatever you know as opposed to i guess it's funny i i, I know there are some shows i've seen where you know, at least on, like, the Toei Spider-Man, you know, it was like the, the woman was dominant and held the purse strings and all this other stuff, like, with Takuya, you know, like, and, and then his sister. Yeah. You know, she was the one who was, like, doling out the money if he was going to get a new bike. But in this case, it, to me, it seems a little more, I don't know, Western traditional? I don't know. I, you know, I don't know. But, you know, yeah, it's... Well, but yeah, yeah, that kind of idea of, like, oh, you know, you, you, you know, my coffee's cold, smack, you know, or something. I don't know. That was the vibe I got from them immediately... <laughs> immediately being introduced to that family well i i think when you watch this like even when you watch this you kind of get the idea that like that's probably their son and yeah it does turn out to be so i'm sorry if that's a spoiler but it's just you gotta get that feeling i just thought he was being kind of worried about his son and he didn't know that he had like passed away but he goes outside and there's a weird like kind of red scarf hanging from a tree and he's like, what is that? And we get a brief glimpse of the monster of this episode. Again, they're called Unknowns. And it's, it's not, again, not a spoiler. We're going to talk about this episode in depth. He's kind of like a jaguar kind of tiger person. I, You know, it's funny. When I saw his claw, I was like, okay. So I started calling him Evil Lion-O. Because <laughs> he had, like, the, the, the claw reminded me of the claw that, like, Lion-O puts, you know, that where he sheets his is sort of omens or whatever like that's kind of what it looked like <laughs> yeah. this big giant sort of plastic looking you know because uh it's like yeah he he's kind of like this cat person but it's it's not a very hyper realistic cat person you know obviously it's it's kind of like a, a bodysuit or whatever you know and 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 i was just kind of like oh okay like the, like he's an he's an evil leopard cat guy or whatever and i know lion is not a leopard but i was just sitting there kind of calling him evil lion the whole time and i, I, I like, called oh. him i called him cheetor so it's okay nice <laughs> evil cheetor yeah yeah so even without like any kind of definite interaction he kind of lets out this high-pitched like roar and the other department their machine starts going crazy and it's like going all wonky and stuff and we're like oh there may be something to this part machine meanwhile again flashing back like I said, guys, you just got to hang on. This is a this is a character-building episode. At the uh, Shirokita College, 
Ryo, aka God Gardner, is trying to go into a swimming competition and he hears a strange noise and he almost drowns. And, you know, you get to the point where you're like, something's going on here. You know, it's like, okay, there's like various people being affected by this. And you don't know what Ryo's problem is. Ryo's problem is, it's like, you know, I, I assume, again, that's a lot of foreshadowing that, like, you know, I didn't think it was heavy-handed. It was actually very dramatic. I, I thought that was kind of, a, you know, one of those scenes because when you first watch this episode, you don't know if this kid's going to drown. You don't know if he's going to die, you know? Yeah, he, he well, it, it did seem like th that, I, I, I kind of think I knew he was a main character, but the the unfortunate thing is when, when he, he fell prey to that attack, you could see that Shoichi also fell prey to that attack, but it was like Shoichi's just doing his gardening thing, and that's when the 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 yeah. little Miss Thing girl is like, "Oh, maybe you're a farmer," and like I don't know, it's, it was that weird sequence where he like vehemently denies, like he's like, "No, no, no, I'm not a I'm not a farmer, I'm not a you know, no, no, I'm not," and I'm like, "What? What? Why are you being like that, dude? Like she's just trying to help, like, but he's so adamant, <laughs> like, no." I'm not a fucking farmer, you know, and I was just like, all right, calm down, dude. Like, it's cool, <laughs> you know, and but he falls prey to the attack then. So, like, all he does is drop like a fucking squash on the ground or some shit. But, you know, the, the other poor bastard, Rio, you know, he's in the middle of a fucking swim meet competition. And so it's like he, he gets like the whammy when he's like, you know, underwater in the middle of a swimming match. And that leads to him almost being you know, like, comatose, you know, and they have to take him to the hospital, so I was like, oh, that fucking sucks, because you're like, dude, dude was in the middle of it, he's like, he was gonna win that fucking swim, <laughs> swim race, man, like, and I was like, I felt, I felt kind of bad for him. Yeah, he was sculpting that shit. He's got, he's got evil, evil Cheetor fucking his shit up for his swimming match, like, what's up with that? Yeah, and it should be mentioned, these are all really quick cuts, it's like, you know, they had these segments, but it, it, it cuts back again really quickly, to horrible 50s dad and the Cheetor, evil Cheetor slash Lionel, he ambushes the husband, pretty much strangles him to death. And we do another quick cut, and his corpse is hanging from the tree, just the same way as as his son. Yeah. And his his wife runs out and she screams. She's like, "Holy shit!" You know, like, "What the fuck is going on?" Well, see, see, that's where it went. It went back to that that first impression I got. Like, so I was thinking like she was gonna come out look at the arm and go, oh, thank God. <laughs> He's never going to that. You know, like, that's, that, that was my, and I was like, and then, and then when she, she had a moment, and then she screamed, and I was like, oh, that's just, she's just being dutiful. <laughs> she's just, you know, it, it, yeah, I mean, well, it, 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 on the inside, we, on the inside, she's like, oh, thank God, like, I don't have to I'm make, free. I don't, I don't have to make coffee. He's not going to beat my ass anymore. But yeah, that's, that, that was what I was thinking of. But yeah, the, the, the whole, like, arm swinging out of a tree, like, that is pretty... And, and like, there, there is that, I mean, I don't know, like, the, the anatomy of it or the, 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 the physics of it. You're like, how does that happen exactly? You know, it's like, yeah. okay. Yeah, it looks like yeah, yeah, like that's why it kind of gives me the X-Files thing. It's like, ugh, how does that work? Yeah, there's some crunchy contortion going on to fit, fit those kind of, like, kids and adults into those size trees yeah police of course uh, arrive and you know it's, it's not a crime scene and like i said this was a spoiler but the dead boy was his son and you know now his dad is dead and she is kind of fucking terrified but also you know destroyed because even if she didn't like her husband if he was a dick you know she obviously loved her son 
And Makoto, you know, he you know, like, runs up and well, doesn't run off, but he like tries to question her, and she's just like, "I fuck this, I'm out of here," you know. <laughs> and that is like, you know, one of the you know most logical things, you know, is like you don't want to deal with this. Your husband and your son just died, and we get revealed to the public, you know, the the watcher that Makoto is a part of the Counter Unidentified Life Form Squad. And that, that's why he wears, you know, the, the battle suit he wears. You know, that's that's what he does. And he's like, basically, you know, the G3 armor is like the last, you know, best hope for this universe. But, you know, they, they, they he kind of is like, eh, you know, he's like, I don't know if that's a trick or not. But, you know, but, you know, he's like, you know, uh, it's not Makoto. I'm getting confused with all the damn names. It's, it's Hikawa that goes and interviews. Yeah, Makoto uh, Haru. Yeah, Haru is the guy who's talking to her. Sorry. But Haru well, is is Haru the rival guy? Yeah. Okay. So he's he's the guy who comes in in the other trench coat and is like, "You're not a real cop anymore because you run around in that fruity yeah, beetle yeah, porgs yeah. armor and you're not you're not for reals, man." Like so, yeah. And and they they have that weird exchange where he's like he's like, "We'll take over from here." Like, and he the the, the rival guy seems very adamant. Like, there there's no. There's no crazy life form here. Like, go back to your yeah. Beetleborg suit, and we don't need you here. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. I, I got confused because of the first names. Yeah, Haru is like, yeah, the 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 rival. We cut back to the hospital, and Ryu's on life support. He's yeah, he almost drowned. You know, he's on you know a bunch of machines, and you know his coach is coach seems like a good guy. He's like. He wouldn't try to exert himself that much for a match, you know? Yeah, yeah, even though the doctor's, like, accusing him of <laughs> putting the fucking poor kid to death. He's like, did you train that kid too hard? He's like, no! Like, <laughs> it's just like, dude, he, it's all evil Lionel's fault. He's just training. You know? Yeah. So. It's like, yeah. Of course, they're, they're not paying attention because they're too busy, like, you know, he's trying to defend himself and the doc's being too much of a dick. And Ryo's hand kind of twitches a little bit. So, yeah, he's not dead. He's still there. He's still, you know, kicking. And meanwhile, at Yoshihiko's home, that's the uh, professor, Shuichi is talking to Taichi Misuki, which is kind of strange because the daughter and him have two different names. So I'm wondering if Yoshiko's, like, you know, adopting the girl or, you know, who knows? Who knows? While they're there, it's kind of revealed that Shuichi is, is kind of a farmer, even if he says he's not. And they're pulling out this big daikon radish. It's, you know, basically they call it like Japanese radish or, or white radish. And the son is like, man, that's a big ass, you know, fucking radish. And, you know, it's like, they, 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 Amanda comes out and they're like, yeah, you are a farmer. And he's like, no, he's, I'm, no, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a farmer. I'm not a damn farmer, like, like Derek said. And then we go back to the police department and we get a call from Sayuki, our G3 guy. And she's like, worried but she's also saying she has some information regarding the murders and he he is very you know hikawa is like very interested in this he wants to figure this out because he, he does come off as a really good guy he, like you said you know kind of how jordan he wants to do the right thing and unfortunately for her she is being stalked by evil liono and and there's a you know kind of a Big ass noise again, and Shoichi and Ryu, who is still comatose in the hospital, flinches. And Shoichi is also like, you know, what the fuck? 
and sadly, also the wife dies. So he's killed a whole family. Evil Lionel is is a family. He's a genocidal maniac. <laughs> and Hikawa finds when he gets there, he gets there too late. But he finds purse and a photo of a person inside. It's like, it's like he's into patricide, matricide, and uh, whatever the <laughs> fuck the kid shit is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And yeah, he's he's trying to do some police work, <laughs> looking for the genocidal, homicidal maniac. And he, he sees he sees the wife's body hanging from a tree, just like everybody else. And but he also has this kind of sixth sense, you know. This is why he's a good cop. He's like, somebody's fucking watching me, you know. And this is why I call the guy uh, Jaguar. He he is found out by Evil Lion O slash Chief Tor, and, and his name is Jaguar Lord Pantherus Luteus. Wow, I'm going with our names. <laughs> And and then the sad thing is, is when he encounters him, he, he just throws him aside. Like evil Cheetor is like, you know, evil Lion is like, fuck you, I don't, you're you're, no, you're nothing. And he calls Sumiko, who is in charge of Optimus G3, um, <laughs> big ass fucking truck, to bring the G3 uniform. He's about to go into a fight with an unknown. And Sumiko, Sumiko is kind of cool because she's like. We don't have any authorization for this, you know. We have, you know, Haru's like being an asshole, but we're gonna see the suit anyway. So that's kind of cool. And Hikawa tries to shoot Evil Lion-O slash Chidor with a gun, and this is kind of cool. Like the bullets fly at him, and instead of Matrix dodging him, he just stops them and they crumple. <laughs> yeah, that that, that yeah, that was a pretty cool scene. I enjoyed that. I mean, it definitely displayed like, okay, well, you can't just take him out with conventional cop means so there's a reason why they have to send him the the g3 armor and everything although i i will say like i i know like basically eventually the the what'd you call it the optimus g3 mobile or whatever i was calling it like the robo winnebago or whatever but i mean <laughs> yeah. like eventually they catch up with him he jumps in the car and like i don't know like it's one of these things where it's a transformation sequence but it doesn't happen nearly as fast as something like gaim or even you know i don't know sentai or anything it's like it, yeah, this they, is they have to, this, they have to armor him up yeah this is the suit up scene this is like you know short of showing us the bat butt and the bat nipples and all the Joel Schumacher stuff this is like he goes into the van the van starts driving he puts on the under armor he puts on the over armor and then they fucking open the back of the truck and then the fucking backup lights are blaring and he gets into the fucking motorcycle and the ramp goes down and then the bike slowly backs out of the fucking ramp and then finally he's on the fucking road and somehow he catches up to evil lion and i'm just kind of like sitting there going like dude it was like fucking 40 minutes man to get the fuck out of the <laughs> yeah. fucking truck like come on that guy's like halfway to china by now but you know i guess in the context of the story he's not but i was like that went on for fucking ever dude it was, it was it was definitely a suit up moment. It was definitely the um, the action movie, like putting clips in your gun and locking up and everything. <laughs> yeah, I was just like, turn off that fucking siren, man. It was getting on my nerves. Yeah, because it's like it's like what? Yeah, yeah, it gets kind of annoying. His bike is called a guard chaser, by the way. It, 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 you gotta admit, though, Derek, that is a pretty cool fucking bike. No, no, Even it was it takes, cool. Like, like once. 
Well, once he was on the road and after the guy, I was like all on board, but it just took a long ass time to get there. And I get it. It's like they got to have that setup scene, but I was like, dude, come on, man. That dude, that guy's like gone by now, but he, you know, he wasn't. They like the bike catches up to him. And then that's when like everything goes to shit for the guy cuz it's like he thinks it's he's like going to be smooth sailing cuz he's in the the G3 armor and he busts out his his little RoboCop gun or whatever that was yeah. In the tra- you know, in the training sequence, it's like all these like steel balls are being like shot at him, like he's at a, you know, a baseball cage, you know, or something like that with the the you know auto shooter or something like that, and he was totally blown away. All these steel balls that are being like tossed at him at high velocity, but in this, it's like he tries to shoot the guy and it doesn't even do anything. So it's like he, he, it's like he might as well be spitting at the, you know. The, the jaguar yeah. guy or whatever yeah to, to repeat popular internet memes he gets wrecked yeah yeah he totally gets wrecked he gets his wallet taken and all kinds of good stuff <laughs> so yeah he's getting his ass kicked poor guy I mean, he's in, he's in like yeah beat a borg armor but still you know he's trying his best and then we see this bright ass light and this guy just kind of walking in and you're like you know you can't you really can't see him at first because it really is like just a bright spotlight. You're like, what the fuck? And uh, Evil Lion-O slash Cheetor is like, I can take this guy. And no, ooh, hell fucking no. He gets his ass, he gets his wallet taken. The guy was, he, he took his wallet and G3's wallet and he's like, I got both your wallets, bitch. <laughs> well, yeah, you t- it's like it's like a single rider kick and this guy that was like so super badass is basically made short work of in like one scene. Yeah, and we, we find out this is Kamen Rider Agito. And this is called his ground form. And it's kind of cool. I, I like how he does his rider kick because he's ha- he has the horns. Usually Kamen Riders you have antenna. Some of them have horns like Kabuto and yeah, 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 whatever. His horns split into like uh, six pieces. There's like a center horn, then two more horns, and two more horns. And he jumps up and he... And it's a pretty nice rider kick. You gotta admit, Derek. That, that was like how we... D- delivers it it's just like it's very simplistic not a lot of flash but it's like ow that would fucking hurt well and and it obviously does because it, it kicks the shit out of the, the dude yeah and as far as we know right now when these unknowns blow up it's kind of it's it again this is not religious this is just like fact how it looks they get a halo over their head like this white light and then they're like oh uh, uh, shit and they blow up and our, our G3 guy, who we've been rooting for, is like, motherfuck, <laughs> you know? Well, I mean, he, at least at least the guy saved his ass. The, the other thing, too, is that the reason why we know that the other writer is Agito is because you've got uh, Panthero and Tigra in the background there, these other evil cat guys or whatever sitting there going, Agito, you know, because they're, like, looking from the shadows, noticing that, that he's taking out one of their buddies so you, you you know there's like a whole clan of these guys running around sticking families in trees or whatever the fuck they do so. <laughs> yeah and they, they say it almost in reverence or like fear you know you don't know which one it is but they're like they know this guy they're like oh he's fucking here that's not good yeah they they know him they don't really care for him too much but they know he's he's to be feared 
Yeah. So, uh, and, and that's pretty much where you end for the first episode. As far as further episodes, we'll see how it goes. If you guys like it, maybe we'll do some more. I want to go with Derek first, is, because I wanted him to watch this first. And I'll go with my final thoughts. But uh, what do you think of uh, the first episode of Kamen Rider Agito? It's interesting. I mean, my, my speculation is... And, and this ties into what we're about to discuss, too. But my, my speculation is that Soichi is a Gito, or will be a Gito. And, and part of his amnesia is he just doesn't know he's a Gito. That's my speculation. Obviously, like, I, I think, you know, going with a, having a Western background, I'm so used to the formula of the first four minutes of a script introduces you to the main protagonist and that's it, you know, and, and in that sense, you know, Hikawa is the main protagonist, but of course we are introduced yeah. to Ryo and Shoichi as well. And they probably are equivalent protagonists, even though we didn't meet them right away. So I, I do find it intriguing that, you know, kind of like the show we're about to discuss for Ultraman, Ultraman Nexus, there is that, similar element of you have a main protagonist but they're not necessarily the title character so i mean uh, my my hope is that even though hikawa gets pwned that they'll either amp up his g3 armor maybe he becomes a writer himself or, or just something like where he's just not you know sitting there looking like a goofball the whole you know 50 <laughs> yeah. episodes or whatever and 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 that also obviously shoichi and and rio will will play a role in that because obviously they were you know affected by the the sonic kind of head splitting noise and all that stuff and and kind of wondering what their connection is to to this world and the world of the writers and all that kind of stuff so yeah i mean it sets up some interesting mysteries it's like you said it it is it is a bit dense. I mean, you are they are throwing a lot of different characters at you all at once and expecting you to keep up, but, you know, it was fine. I mean, I, I, I didn't have any problems following it or anything. It made sense, and, you know, I, I think the bad guys, you know, they were sufficiently cool and impressive until Agito came on the scene, and then that turned it around <laughs> and made Agito sufficiently impressive to this point. So, I you know, I just imagine they'll, there will be more reversals like that as you continue to watch the piece that that you know some big bad will show up and all of a sudden you'll be like oh crap Aguido's little flare horns don't work like what happened you know like that kind of shit so <laughs> I, I was going to ask you again before I go my final thoughts since this is a early Heisei Rider kind of show do, do you like the idea that he looks more like a old school Showa Rider because he doesn't really look like an armored rider yeah, I mean, I, I, I don't know. Like, like I, I, I think we're in the era of Heisei writers where it, it was hard for me to tell the difference between a lot of them in the, yeah. the kind of mass movies and everything. Like, so, and 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 if what you say is true, like these follow off the the backs of other shows. So you've got Agito, and before that you've got Kuga, and and I imagine their looks are not entirely different either so i i you know for me like it you know the look doesn't bother me but this is the first time i've been introduced to it i i know what you're talking about the the flare with his little gold horns or whatever on on his helmet like that definitely distinguishes him from other writers i've seen in the past you know because to me it's like you know the it, it's the difference between the 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 dinosaur in jurassic park with the little you know <laughs> like uh you know, like, it's kind of like, oh, okay. As far as I go, I, I'm actually rather new to the show myself. I'm I'm probably about eight episodes in deep. I, I really got into Heisei later episodes. 
Commodore, even though I know a lot about it as far as the Hasty era, I'm still new to a lot of stuff, so you got to bear with me, guys. I like this. I thought it was really good. It is dense. There is some stuff, like you said, Derek, that is kind of not bad. It's just, you know, formulaic. But I do like the characters. I, I'm like, you know, I like Hikawa. I think he's like a really good, noble character. And we, we'll, we'll see him progress as it goes on. If we do more shows, that's great. But you can watch this on your own. You can see this for yourself. And as far as Shoichi and Ryo, I'm not going to reveal if they're a Gito. That's up to you guys. Or up to you guys to let us know if you want to find out if they're a Gito. I thought a Gito had a really good badass debut. I thought the unknowns looked really powerful. Like you said, like, you know, evil Cheetor slash Lionel. He seemed pretty badass, you know. He was like stuffing people in trees and stuff. So he had he had a good build up. And when he gets his ass kicked, you're like, you have that nice little feeling of like, yeah, kick his ass, fucking quit killing families, you asshole. So as far as Agito, the first episode, I would definitely recommend you watch some more of it. At least at least go to at least where I'm at. I'm I'm on episode eight. I'm enjoying it. I think it's fun. So I, I would recommend people at least trying to give it a chance. Cool. Yeah, sounds good to me. I, I, I would give it a chance. I mean, this is fun to watch. Cool, cool. We're going to switch gears here. After we get back from the commercial break, we're going to tell you about an awesome podcast that Derek is uh, either a fan of or he knows of. He's He's been a big fan of a lot of podcasts. So listen to this commercial break. And when we get back, I want to hand the reins over to Derek, and we're going to talk about Ultraman Nexus. This is Tokyo, once a city of six million people. What has happened here was caused by a force which, up until a few days ago, was entirely beyond the scope of man's imagination. Tokyo, a smoldering memorial to the unknown. An unknown which at this very moment still prevails and could at any time lash out with its terrible destruction anywhere else in the world. Hi folks, Luke Giaconetti here. I'd like to ask you a few questions. Do you like giant monsters? Or as they're called in Japan, Daikaiju? Monsters like Godzilla, Rodan, Gamera, King Ghidorah, or Mothra? Do you like more obscure monsters, such as Gappa or Yangari? Do you like giant heroes like Ultraman or super robots like the Shogun Warriors? If you answered yes to any of these questions, then I think you might like my podcast, Earth Destruction Directive. I'm a dedicated fan of all things Daikaiju, and I'd like to share that with all of you. 
please check out Earth Destruction Directive at twotruefreaks.com. Earth Destruction Directive, where we turn your daikaiju dreams into city-smashing reality. stuff i started off this podcast talking about agito but derek threw one back at me and i want to give him some credit because it's the first time we're going to talk about ultraman any kind of series 
in Toku Thursday. So I wanted him to take the reins and kind of quiz me on what I thought and what he thought about Ultraman Nexus. So take it away, Derek. Yeah, I mean, we, we me and Justin have talked about Ultraman before on Toku Thursdays. We did talk about Ultraman 80, and, and I've talked with Ultraman about Luke Giaconetti on Earth Destruction Directive, and usually one of the series that I frequently mention as one of my favorites is Ultraman Nexus. And th this was a show, just, just a quick high-level overview, this was a show that aired in the 2004-2005 season, and... I always kind of describe it as the ultimate version of Ultraman, meaning the Marvel Ultimate Comics. It's not <laughs> quite a it, it's not quite a traditional version of Ultraman. It is a reimagining and it also is uh, skewed a bit more adult. I mean, I I think the goal of the creators and they've made no secret about it was to make a continuing narrative much like they'd been seeing on anime programming so as opposed to a traditional Ultraman show being kind of the as they describe it the monster of the week quote-unquote you know Ultraman shows up you know fights the monster the monsters defeated everybody goes home this had more of a overreaching arc with different subplots you know and and it was something that spoke to me I think I, I think I was the target age when this came out and when this came out you know I was in my my mid-twenties and I was basically their audience and and I feel like I was watching this as it came out of course I was watching the TV Nihon subtitled version and you know hopefully maybe by the time this podcast is released maybe there'll be an official release over on Crunchyroll for people to check out but if there's not by then like you guys can certainly check this out at TV Nihon and they did some great fan subs on this and this was one of the first kind of fan sub shows I watched. I mean, one of my fondest memories of just, that doesn't really have a lot to do with watching the show per se, but I remember being in LAX, and I've probably told this story a couple times, but I, I remember being in LAX and watching this on my laptop, just waiting for a flight to go back home, you know, you know basically to leave LA and, and go back to the Bay Area and everything. And there was a Japanese gentleman and he just kind of stopped, and he stared, and he looked, and he's kind of like, is that Ultraman? And I kind of went, yeah, it's Ultraman. <laughs> and he was kind of like, I remember watching that when I was a kid. You know, and it was like this cool little moment where we both kind of sat there and looked at Ultraman, you know, and, and whatever. But I, I, I don't know, that's like a favorite memory of mine that's like kind of random, but I, I really, really love. And so I, I guess... I think what Tony was expecting was when he kind of brought up that he wanted to talk about Kamen Rider Agito and he wanted to give me an opportunity to talk about something I was familiar with. I think he may have thought, you know, oh, well, maybe Derek will pick something, you know, Kamen Rider-ish that he was familiar with, whether it was like <laughs> Saban's Masked Rider or, or Kamen Rider Dragon Knight and that kind of thing. And, you know, that's something that would be fun to talk about at some point or another. But when he mentioned to me, I kind of thought, well, hey, you know what? Have you seen this and I you know I was just like have you seen Ultraman Nexus and he's like no and I said well you know what if I'm gonna watch the first episode of Agito you go ahead and watch the first episode of Ultraman Nexus and we'll do kind of a you know front end back end type show and and that's what this has turned into and you know just to go into it I mean you know Tony feel free to interject as I 
sort of synopsize and, and go into right. it. But but the, the you know the, the I think the the main attraction for me with this is you know and just a heads up, this show is shrouded in mystery from the beginning to the end. There's twists, there's turns, there's secrets, there's reveals, and this is my opportunity to turn around the Gime thing on Tony. You know, Tony knows <laughs> yeah. a whole bunch about Gime. Well, I know everything that happens in this show pretty much. I mean, it's been a long time since I've seen the whole thing, but I definitely know more than Tony knows. So <laughs> so this will be my opportunity to to not spoil, but also kind of keep things shrouded in mystery, you know, uh, you know, in terms of an introduction to the first episode, not ruin anything for any potential viewers, but but you know, like like Tony says, if we continue doing this as kind of a regular thing, you know, I'll try to keep it up and, and make sure that things are not, you know, spoiled for folks, but also kind of keep you intrigued and, and treat it that way. So I, I will I will say even this is totally not a spoiler, just because it's the it's in the first few minutes. It's like like a Gito, it's there's a mystery here. There's like what's going on because like. I was like, oh, we're going to, like, watch Ultraman and, like, you know, it's going to be, like, a big guy fighting big monsters. And it's not that at all for, like, like the first five, ten minutes, you know? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, the, the first episode is titled Night Raid, and we open up on a brilliant orange sky, and there's some mysterious stone ruins. And there's a mysterious figure whose name I know, but Tony does not know. <laughs> I do not <laughs> <laughs> a mysterious figure clad in black leather jacket, and he overlooks the scene, and, and he comments that the awakening is near. And then at that point, we are treated to the first opening theme, which runs through episodes 1 through 25. The theme is titled EU. It's from the rock band DOA. The name of the band comes from a single letter of each of the band members' names. So it is Daiki Yoshimoto, it's Shinchiro Ota, and Akihito Tokunaga. So that's where DOA comes from. The song roughly translates into Great Man or Hero. I love this fucking introductory song like there's it's the it's the tv size version there's like a three minute version but like it's probably just out of nostalgia because it's one of the first ultraman shows after like the original one that i sort of saw all the way through and and also kind of really got into at that point in my life and like my my you know basically my my favorite part of it is the way that the the combination of the way the song really gets into gear and there's actually a sequence of the 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 squad like of supporting characters and they're rocketing up this open elevator shaft and it's like that that's one of those things where it's like i i'm totally embarrassingly like you're in, in love you're with in. the song yeah well well it's just one of those things where it's like i'm i, I can sit there and put on this song and like rock out like I'm in the the Mirthmobile in Wayne's World. Like I love this fucking. Like, yeah, I, I, I was gonna say it does have like kind of a metal feel to it, but like really good metal. Like oh yeah, let's kick some ass metal. Yeah. 
Yeah, I mean, they're, they're definitely a rock band and everything. I mean, the introduction features locations and images of the title character transforming, and he's in the middle of action sequences, and then there's a collection of images of, you know, what will eventually become the familiar supporting cast members launching into battle. And, like, right now, obviously, it's sort of an unfamiliar set of visuals for any new viewers like yourself, but, you know, kind of like the sequential anime story arcs that Ultraman Nexus is inspired by, the introduction is basically a promise of the things that are to come. So that's that's kind of how I look at the introduction. Is there, I mean, was there any takes you had from the introduction? Like, were you curious about anything? Did you just figure it would be explained later? Or? When I when I first watched it, I watched it last night kind of early. Well, I guess today kind of early. Um... <laughs> And I was like, yeah, I watched Nexus, you know, it was like Ultraman is like, because listen, listeners, you have to understand, I have had Ultraman Tiga to go by for my entire Ultraman experience. Ultraman Tiga on Foxbox sucks dick. It's horrible. It's a bad dub. It's, it's well, the, comedy. The, 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 the dub is comedy. I, you know what's funny, though? Like, I, I, I think Ultraman Tiga in Japan is, is really heralded. Like, it, it, I mean, that was... Oh, I'm revi- sure it's great. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, that was the show that revived Ultraman. Like, I, I don't know. Like, my take on it is it's it's a little, like, mixed bag for me. It kind of reminds me of Gundam Wing. It's like there are things about it that's really cool, and there are things about it that are extremely slow and boring. So, I, I mean, I mean... You, you, you got, you got, like, you know, you got to take it from me. It's like Ultraman Tiga to you, Gundam, Gundam Fighter. Gundam Fighter was on Cartoon Network, and it ran almost, I think, all the way through. I think, but I got G Fighter Gundam, no region, the full DVD set, and I was like, oh, this is so good. It's cheesy, but it's so good. And even if Tiga is not cheesy. When you see the actual way it's supposed to be presented, you're like, "Oh, this is so much better." So, I, yeah, I, I had I had bad goggles on Ultraman. I think that's why I don't watch Ultraman. But when you were saying, like, you know, what did I think about the opening? It was it was pretty fucking kick ass. It was like it was like a little bit dark, a little bit you know metal, and like you know it had like I mean I I mean I'm sorry I'm I'm one of those guys. I grew up on Godzilla films. People running around like a lab, like trying to figure out what's going on and like why everything's going to shit and trying to like, you know, send out like, you know, a squad of troopers. It's kind of my wheelhouse. I like that shit, (laughs) you know? Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's cool. I, I like rocking out to it. So I'm not, I'm not going to be like super embarrassed, like, but I, I rock out to this song. So I, I think it kicks ass. And so basically after the intro, Uh, We see some mundane, everyday interactions and scenarios of human beings in Japan. And narrating over all the visuals is our main protagonist, whose name we don't know yet. And he muses over the mystery within the deception that is normality, which pretends events to come. So, late at night, there's a truck driver who stops at a gas station to fill up his vehicle. The attendant and the driver are surprised at just how long it's taking to fill up the truck. At that moment, we have a quick cut to a data center and confirmation from the operator, who of course, we don't know his name yet, but we will know his name later on, that a wave signal in the area has been confirmed. Meanwhile, back at the gas station, suspecting a leak, the attendant looks at the underside of the vehicle. He notices a gooey, purple substance oozing out of the fuel tank. 
The ooze quickly slithers out to attack the attendant. As he screams in horror, the truck driver quickly runs from the gas station, only to be caught by a tentacled arm. And before the beast can devour its second course, the Night Raider CIC, or Combat Information Center, has located the source of the wave signal. The Night Raiders on site snipe the beast from a distance, saving the truck driver and sending the beast fleeing into an underpass. So why don't we why don't we talk about this for a little bit? So I, I know one of the I, I don't know if it's a criticism of this show, but it, it was definitely a directional choice for the, the, the showrunners to move away a bit from guys in rubber suits. And so this beast that that attacks the gas totally, station totally CGI, yeah. is yeah, totally is like CGI. super CGI of of the era. You know, it's 2004 CGI, so it's not it's not like it's like super hot ass CGI. But I mean, it, it gets the job done. I mean, it's this this big yeah, purple I, kind of thing that that is like a slug, basically. I, I, w- I would put it this way: it's kind of not good CGI, but for the time. It is really detailed. I mean, I, I it, it basically, if you are going to watch this, you have to take off your, like, cynic glasses. You have to be like, you know, yeah, yeah. not cynic. Yeah, you know, you have to be like, am I going to get involved in this story? And if you are, when I watched this, like, earlier today, I was like, no, I'm cool with that. Yeah, I can see, like, this being a, you know, a real threat. I was like, yeah, he's gross. He's well detailed. Is he the best CGI? Yeah, I know, but I'm like, I could totally buy him. I, I, yeah, I was cool with it. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it's a terrifying monster type thing. It it eats people. It's got teeth and 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 kind of is is gross looking and everything. So I mean, I mean, on that level, it works, you know. Yeah. And and you know, basically, this is this is all according to the Night Raiders' plan, because they've herded the beast into a location with no human life. I will say, uh, Derek, the Night Raiders are pretty fucking awesome. <laughs> Yeah, the Night Raiders. Yeah, they're cool. Like so, so like basically, like the it, it, it's kind of interesting because you don't really know like when 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 they first shoot the beast and and make him run away and stop him from eating the truck driver. Like at first, you kind of wonder, are there just a bunch of guys like in bushes like sniping? Like what's going on? And what you find out basically yeah. is there's two jet fighters. And they decloak and land in front of the entrance to the underpass. Now, I guess I'll go ahead and reveal this because it's not exactly spoilers or anything like that. But the the jet fighters that land are called Chrome Chester Beta and Chrome Chester Gamma. So that's that's the jet fighters that landed in front of the underpass. And so there are four Night Raider team members, and they converge on this underpass armed with huge cannon rifles, which are yeah. called. Divot launchers and basically using the night vision tech in their helmets they locate the beast on the ceiling and proceed to open fire until it explodes in a flash of blue light the CIC operator is notified that the mission is accomplished by the team captain and he replies that the disposal crew will be on the way in a matter of seconds almost immediately men in white suits who will later learn are known as white sweepers come on the scene to collect evidence and sanitize the rest of the scene. They're kind of like the guys from Gaim that come along in the Kurakage suits and, and clean up Flame, all the mess. Flamethrower and everything, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, the, the Hellheim agents, yeah. And so, so one of the, the Night Raiders, the team members, Analysis, identifies the entity 
as a CHO or a Cho beast, which this is a slug-like creature that's made of 95% water, and it turns out it was attracted by the ethanol at the gas station because that is the creature's food source. Another female team member comments that there is plenty of ethanol in Saki and makes the crack that she doesn't care for drunks. This will be very important expositional information for later in the episode. And you've got these like and you've got these fun like TV Nihon like, you know, short notes that like explain to you like, oh by the way, like that this is Saki, like, so don't forget, you know, so you, you get what's going on. It's this kind of cultural gag joke that she makes, so you sort of have to be filled in on it and stuff. I, I think that's what I like about the Night Riders is like I don't know what's going to happen after this. I kind of want to watch the second episode because it's got me interested. But like the Night Raiders don't come off as cannon fodder. They actually come off as important. They actually serve a role. They're not just like guys in suits. Bleh. So I, I like that. I like that they seem knowledgeable about what they're doing. Yeah, I, I'd say the Night Raiders are, are part of a tradition involving Ultraman. I mean, the majority of Ultraman shows usually have some kind of, you know, to, to go back to the old school Ultraman, some kind of space garrison type team where, you know, usually, you know, traditionally Ultraman, his secret identity, whoever it is, like, you know, is usually basically situated at at that team. You know, there, there's usually somebody in the team that is Ultraman. In this case, that's not the case, but but the team is usually, you know, usually the primary cast of supporting characters and everything. So I, I'd say that's fairly fairly traditional. You have like you know guy with the Kurokage, you know Yggdrasil troopers. They're they're throwaway guys. You have Sentai like SPD. They have like throwaway characters who are just like, like you know oh they're part of the, like the because uh, SPD was actually I think. SPD was a Japanese name for it too. It just yeah, had a different yeah. connotation. I would just say the, the the Ultraman character generally in that comparison would be like a Red Ranger, and and you know if it's Ultraman Hayata, then you know the Space Garrison team is like the blue and pink and yellow and green Ranger. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You know, like it's like they're the supporting cast. They help the main character and all that kind of stuff. So you know that that's and 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 you're you're right. I mean they they do go out of their way to give a lot of character to this supporting cast because you're going to be with them you know for the next 30 something episodes and everything yeah and i appreciate that. That, that that's kind of a cool thing yeah yeah so and then we're we're also introduced to another female member who is the deputy captain and i'm, I'm not going to say the characters names right now because they don't really say them in the episode but if we continue with this i'll i'll you know i'll kind of name all the characters and everything but since we don't know their names and it's a super secret hush hush organization you know we'll just know that the names of the characters that we find out within this episode. So the deputy captain quickly sanitizes the remains being analyzed after they determined the gas station attendant was merely eaten as a garnish to assist with the Chobeast's digestion. She doesn't care for the details and proclaims a monster is a monster. And so, like, she's kind of disgusted by the whole thing, and, and, and she's very much... I, I think she's in the vein of the whole, you know, Scully to, to you know other characters molder in this she's she's a, a strong female character but she's also very you know skeptical and stubborn and, and that kind she, of she's just got a job to do yeah 
Yeah, and, and that's what she's all about. And then basically as the female team members discuss rumors that their team will be obtaining a fifth member, the deputy captain momentarily sees our mysterious leather jacket clad figure from the opening sequence. Before she can realize, he has vanished and the deputy captain brushes off the moment as inconsequential. But we know it's not inconsequential because there's all this like ominous music playing in the background and everything. Of course we know, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Oh, you know, so you're like, oh, okay, that's important. We then cut to an in-progress helicopter rescue of mountain climbers stuck in a thick fog. At the forefront of the rescue mission is our main protagonist. Remember that guy who was narrating at the beginning of the series earlier? So, you know, as he's lowered by a rescue rope, he appears to have a post-traumatic flashback to a near-drowning experience as a young child. So he ends up choking under the pressure. We then cut to the aftermath in the cafeteria with this lead protagonist and his colleagues. And they're trying to assuage his reservations, but they they all kind of seem pretty certain his dismissal is imminent. And although he proclaims his love for the job and helping people, he admits he may not be the right person for this type of job. When he's given a letter by the captain of his rescue squad, we finally hear our protagonist's name, Como. Yeah, helicopter scene. It was actually pretty well done because you actually got a sense of pathos. He seemed like he was actually like you know, I don't know who the actor is, but he, he, he like he did a good job of like you know even with CGI backgrounds and like you know I'm on a helicopter. You know, it was like yeah, I I I, I got a good sense of that he was kind of torn up about it. I, I think that was really good acting. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, 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 he sold the, the 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 trauma that the character felt and, and the kind of, you know, the turmoil he was going through. Like, he wants to help, but then he, he ran into some kind of thing from his past, this head trip he has that he, he sort of can't get past right now. So, yeah, I thought he did a good job of selling that. Yeah, yeah. So, so in, in, instead of this letter turning out to be a dismissal letter, instead we get another jump cut of Komon Kazuki explaining to his girlfriend, Rico, that he is going to be re-examined and possibly reassigned to another unit. His girlfriend, Rico, is an artist, and Komon looks on as she sketches a family of giraffes as they enjoy the surrounding of a zoo on their date. Her graduate thesis was on family portraits, and Komon uses that topic as a sly segue to note that he would like to meet Rico's family one day. Then he's cutely embarrassed by the forward nature of his own request, I guess that's a Japanese thing, but Rico smiles and agrees to consider the notion, which then makes them both happy, so they're kind of smiling and laughing and everything. At that point, well, I guess I'll ask you, like, like, you any first thoughts on Rico and, and now that we know his name, Komon, you know, interacting in a non-rescue emergency situation? Yeah, what I really got from this is, like, he's adorable. And when I say adorable, I don't mean that in a, like, helpless, like, you know, she's a stupid girl kind of way. She's really supportive, and she's, like, you know, someone who actually definitely cares for Komon. And Komon is... A really good guy but he's just dealing with shit and he's not trying to be like you know a dick but he's like obviously he obviously cares for her too and it's 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 this nice juxtaposition of like you know how do i deal with like what i've been through when i have this person who cares so much about me and it, yeah it was, it was yeah it was it was 
again, the acting is really good in this. It's like it's you know one of those things where like they could have played all very chintzy and you know stupid, but it seemed very heartfelt. So yeah, yeah. Again, it's like the the dark tone of this first episode has an underlying theme, but the dark tone really helps these like interpersonal communications. You know, like. Yeah, yeah, you you feel bad for everybody because like such bad shit is happening, you know. So then, Komon basically has to leave the date to attend his re-examination. So he ends up being dropped off by a taxi cab in this remote location in the middle of a dirt road, and he's starting to wonder if he's even in the right place. But shortly after being dropped off, this black van shows up, and Komon is introduced to a character known as Matsunaga. Yoichiro, who basically blindfolds him like he's headed to the fucking Batcave, and then he's kind of forcibly taken away. And when he wakes up next, Komon's on an operating table, surrounded by the guys in the white suits, the white sweepers, <laughs> and Matsunaga. And although Komon wants to know like exactly what the hell's going on here, they kind of dismiss his demands, complete their examination, and then put him back to sleep. And the next thing you know, he's dropped off back to the same remote dirt road where he started. And he, and he takes on Matsunaga, or, or the whole Men in Black stuff we're, we're sort of introduced to at this point. Well, yeah, yeah, that, that is a very, like, kind of creepy part of the episode, because, like, like you said, like, they just blindfold him, they're like, they're going with us. This is what's going to happen. And they see him on a lab table, and you're like, "What the fuck is going on, man?" You know? Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. One of the the showrunners, I guess, goals or or motivations in creating this series, I think, was one of the previous Ultraman series. I think it was in 2002 and 2003. Was Ultraman Cosmos, and and we have done a, a sidecast on Cosmos. That was the one about the kind of hippie Ultraman that doesn't really kill monsters, he just wants to, like, save them and take them back to Monster Island and pet them and Shit do nice man. things with the monsters and stuff. And so, so I, I, I think that series was so kind of bubbly and, and altruistic and, too, too and, and in some sense it was, it was to the point where it was unrealistic. And so I yeah. think, I think to counter that kind of programming, this show was created to show, like, look, like, you know, just because the government says they're your best friend doesn't mean they are. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's like all these things were, were taken a lot more, you know, they, they had that, like, the, I guess that's the reason why I describe it as, like, the ultimate universe. It's like, it's, it's kind of got some of the underlining tones of the original Marvel universe, but there's a lot more kind of a seedy underbelly to it where, you know, that, that's what, you know, it's like, th this conceivably is you know, a good guy organization that he's going to be working for, but at the same time, they, they kind of seem a bit shady and underhanded, you know, even in his initial introduction to them. So so you, you kind of get the vibe that there, there's going to be a lot of internal conflict as the series progresses. Well, I think what really helps the series is, like, there's a lot of filters and washes used in this. And like a lot of it, like, you know, hey, Hollywood producers and directors, you don't have to use washes for like fucking goddamn romantic comedies or like fighting movies. But 
with this series, like I like how there's like filters and washes used. There's like some, you know, like you know, exposure things and stuff like that. Like bright exposures when something, you know, happens. And I think it works really well with the dark tone of the series. And that's how you should do a show. It's like there's sometimes where like this kind of camera work is like it's not even the camera work, it's like the editing. It's like how you're gonna like portray the show. And it seems a little washed out. It doesn't seem as colorful as like you would think me as an Ultraman newbie would go into this because I would think this would be like superheroes, I'm bright red and bright silver, look at me, I'm awesome. And when I watch the show it's kinda like it has like a little bit of a wash to it. It's got like kind of like a tint to it. It's got like this good atmosphere and I, I really I really did enjoy like how it kept building with how the cinematography and the editing worked with it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I mean that that was something that spoke to me, especially when I when I first watched it. You know, the it was one of those things where it's like you could get your geek on, but you also felt like, yeah, I'm watching something for adults. You know, like yeah, you know, even though even though it's kind of geeky kid shit, you know, but you you felt like, oh, this is this is like super serious and stuff, and this yeah. is all this is edgy and hardcore and that that yeah. kind of thing. So that's ultimate for adults. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it definitely it definitely gave you that kind of allowance or or you know give you that that pass you know where it's like you know some people might be like oh you know this shit's for kids dude but you're like no man you don't understand like this is like this is like adult and serious and stuff so that's that was always my takeaway from this show that it, it you know it, it basically made it okay to watch Ultraman because you're like dude it's not you know it's not the the series you remember from the 60s because it's it's like super super secret agents and and everything's like super serious and it's filtered and all that kind of good stuff i guess i'll, I'll keep going with the yeah, the, yeah, the episode yeah, yeah. basically yeah basically when when como next returns to his his rescue workplace he finds matsunaga waiting for him and matsunaga notifies como that he's been transferred to his organization known as tilt even though it's it's short like TLT, so yeah, TLT needs a lie, yeah. It's like it is pronounced Tilto, you know. So he tells Komon, you know, Tilto operates outside the jurisdiction of nations and promotes peace. So it's a little bit of a contradiction there. It's like it's like fuck the rest of these nations, but we're for peace, you know. So so it's like back to that thing of oh, it's it's a little more serious than say Ultraman Cosmos like if there was a, a government agency in Ultraman Cosmos would probably be like yay you guys are all good because you say you are yay but you know this is like we say we're good but you don't really know if you trust them or not I, I, I was going to ask you about this Derek because since you're a huge fan of the Ultraman series I did a little bit of research because I actually do research sometimes I know it's kind of hard to believe huh? I know right it's crazy when Ultraman Nessus came out, it was like saying there was a series before this, like you said, they were trying to establish continuity. And basically the government was trying to erase the idea that there were these kaiju and Ultraman. They're saying they never existed. Don't don't even think about them. And they're trying to erase that from their memories. So was that kind of a cool thing for you? Like to like know that like the government was you know, the Japanese government was like saying, oh, that never happened. You know, it was like, don't worry about this. I, I think it was tying into the whole idea that, I, I mean, you know, this is not too long after Men in Black came out and the idea that, that 
you know, you would just erase somebody's memory if they ran into something that was so unfathomable, you know, that, that you know, it's like, oh, well, just to keep just to keep the daily grind, you know, the, the, the normality that Comon narrates about in the opening, the kind of day-to-day... <laughs> keep, keep, keep nothing to see here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the day-to-day, you know, mundane stuff to, to keep that, that hamster wheel going. It's like we have to you know, keep people, you know, in the hamster wheel with the fresh water and the nice little hay and give them their hamster food and, and, and just keep keep having it go. You can't you can't tell them that there are these huge human giants that could shake their hamster cage at any moment. You know, you got to tell them, like, forget about that shit. Like, that didn't happen. Like, just nothing to see here kind of thing. So, yeah. Did you appreciate that? Out? That was a cool way to take the story for like that that for Ultraman. Yeah, because... yeah, because because that that kind of takes it in in the sense that, that I mean it, it's going to play a huge role in the course of this series, obviously, just that that story element. But in terms of of this introduction to it, again, it goes back to that whole this is real, man. This is adult. Like this isn't for kids. This is like serious, man. Because you're like, oh, well, that explains it. It's like, yeah, you can fight a monster. I mean, no, I'm not saying they fight a monster every week, but if you go back to the original Ultraman formula, you know, you're in your head, you're like, oh, this is like the Alan Mooring of, of, you know, Ultraman, where it's like, oh, this explains why, you know, you can fight a monster every week and buildings can get blown up, but everybody's not like, hey, dude, like, monsters are real. Everything, you know, there's... You know, it's like you, you can explain why week to week people are like shocked that there's a monster about to eat them and stuff like that. And, and, and by the way, listeners, this is why we accidentally, accidentally see her brothers this because when I saw Agito, I did not know anything about Ultraman Nexus. He didn't know anything about Agito, and they had the same plot line because Agito is like, oh, the unknowns don't exist. Forget about them. There's no common rider. Forget about Kuga nothing nothing happened there's no like unknown number four and it's the same story yeah in a way but it's it, it's like just a parallel it's not the same story they, they're very different they're definitely worth watching on their own but there's that same tie of like this doesn't happen you know you didn't see this shut up yeah yeah there, there is that that notion that we ran into like a happy accident that there are like you said there's there's a lot of parallels between the the two shows we decided to discuss in this podcast yeah 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 yeah. but you know basically they they describe tilt you know matsunaga describes tilt as more than a police organization he tells komon it recruits the best of the best and he shows komon a device that's called a pulse raider and that he'll become familiar with how to use it soon but for now it's going to be a navigation tool so that he can head to tilt's top secret headquarters Komon, of course, immediately calls his girlfriend to cancel their date, but realizes he can't tell her too much, as Matsunaga had made strict mention that his location was supposed to be top secret. So Riko forgives Komon for the vague life update, as long as he promises to take her on a really nice rain check date. <laughs> yeah. So, you know, next up, we are cutting to a tour bus full of drunk, off-their-ass Japanese folks on Saki. Yeah, I know, though, literally, like, you, you guys, like, make fun of, like, you know, Kamen Rider or Ultraman or whatever. These guys are getting drunk. <laughs> yeah, these these guys are drunk. And, and, and basically, one of the inebriated passengers invites the driver to sing along with the party. And as that's going on, this 
Chobeast flies in front of the windshield, spits purple gunk all over the windscreen, and, and blinds the driver's view. And then the tour bus passengers are all attacked, and we see the mysterious leather jacket-clad figure and the CIC operator. And it's basically a bunch of quick cuts, but the leather-clad jacket figure and the CIC operator both seem to be aware that there's this show beast attack and it's taking place concurrently so at that point the cic operator scrambles the night raiders meanwhile comon has used the pulse raider to track down the now empty tour bus and he picks up what he thinks is an empty can of sake and then all of a sudden the chobies kind of slimes out of the can then we cut back to the mysterious leather jacket clad figure who holds a pulsating device and asks it, What do you want from me? We cut back to the CIC operations, who now detect a completely different wave signal from the Chobeast. Has it awakened? The operator wonders. The Chobeast is, of course, using its usual MO of grabbing Komon with a tentacled arm, but Komon fights for dear life, hanging on to a nearby road railing. Again, Komon has entered his post-traumatic drowning flashback syndrome, but then a hand comes into the water offering help and says, don't give up. And just as Komon is about to be made Chobeast food, what appears to be a giant meteor falls from the sky, crushing the Chobeast into nothing. An awed and amazed Komon looks up to see an enormous silver giant. The quote-unquote meteor was his fist, which is now embedded into the road, crackling with energy. Ultraman Nexus looks down at Komon. Komon wonders if he is dreaming before Nexus fades away into space dust. So this this is pretty epic. The introduction of of Ultraman on this show. Like, what it, what was your like? Was this as cool for you as it was for me? Like, did you like this or what? What did you think of this? I, I will say, like, when I saw Komon, like, you know, hanging for the guardrail, I'm like, all right, Ultraman's gonna, like, run in, he's gonna be, like, regular size, and then just, like, big-ass fucking fist. He's already big size. He's like, fuck being normal size. I'm just gonna fucking smack the shit out of this. And I, I think the best thing about this is, is he's, like, standing over, like, the side of the road, deep in the forest, and he's already a giant. And Komon is like, oh my god, the silver giant, who is he? And that lends an epic feel to it, and that's really, really cool. It's like, you're just like, I mean, I, I can't imagine if I was, like, in peril, if I was, like, you know, getting attacked by, like, I don't know, buggers or whatever, and, like, someone just smashed the shit out of them, and I looked up, and there's, like, a, you know, 40-story tall giant, and he's like, I got your back, bitch. I'm like, you're my hero. <laughs> you know, I was like, I love you. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah, no, I, I, I did really like the scene and the music and everything that sort of surrounded it. I, and, and, you know, there, there's, there is that, 
that tool to me of of less is more you know like you you make him mysterious you make him a bit you know boba fett darth maul like if if it's not like you you see him all the time so it's not like they 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 shot their whole load in the first episode he said like the silver giant he didn't say ultraman he was like no the silver giant that's that's really cool yeah 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 and so so you know of course you know night raiders just like a cop never around when you need one they arrive on the scene <laughs> too late uh, the deputy captain meets up with Komon, asks him what happened there and then she realizes Komon is their latest recruit. She offers him some advice, firing off her huge cannon rifle, the Divat Launcher, destroying another hidden show beast behind him, and says, Next time, protect your own life. Komon then goes into Kevin Arnold mode and mentions this is the <laughs> first time he met his girlfriend, as well as the first time he met the Silver Giant. Winnie Cooper! From this point on... <laughs> Komon's narrator voice from the future indicates he would await the shady reality coming for him while being a totally NFG green noob guy. Finally, we pan back to see the mysterious leather jacket clad figure who watches on and we are told this is to be continued. And that's basically the, the end of the episode. I, I will go first this time because I let you... I'll let you go first last time and I finished up. I'll let you finish up because I, I know you like this series. I would say I'm not an Ultraman fan, but this kind of pulled me in. I, like you said, that big fist just punching the fucking, you know, alien or whatever it was, the, like, you know, the beast, it, it, it did make an impact. I was like, that's pretty fucking goddamn cool. And I want to see where this goes. You know, I want to see how this progresses. And as a not Ultraman fan, that speaks volumes when you see something that makes you want to watch a show. And I think that's the highest, like, you know, remark I can give is like when you see something that makes you want to show that you don't want to watch, what well, a show that you would not normally watch, you want to watch now. I think that's the highest, you know, compliment I can say. I was like, ah, I kind of want to watch this now. Yeah, no, no, that's great. Cause I, I, I think, I, I think this is, again, I, I think the reason why I compare it to ultimate comics and, and maybe also another good comparison is, you know, new who versus old who it's like, yes, you know, the, the longtime fans of Ultraman or longtime fans of Dr. Who might say, you know, start from the beginning episode one, you know, like that kind of thing. Yeah. But this is, this is my sneaky, subtle way of trying to get, you know, a non Ultraman fanboy into Ultraman, you know, just cleverly, you know, kind of, you know, it, it does, it does have a little, you know, it's not so much that it's got costume shame or that it's apologizing for what it is, but it does have that air of, you know, a, a, a modern era, you know, Vertigo or Alan Moore comic or something to the effect where you're like, oh, these guys are taking this seriously. And because yeah. they are taking it seriously, you know, you you know, especially at that age range, you know, when, when I was first watching this, when you're in your, you know, mid-20s, like, you say, oh, it gives you license 
to take something that is outlandish as Ultraman seriously when you see, you know, it's like, oh, well, his hand smashed the road. Like, this guy's in awe. He's wondering if he's dreaming. And then, of course, it yeah, fades yeah. away and nobody else can see it and go, oh, yeah, you're not crazy, bro. It's like he's sitting there wondering if he's fucking crazy. So it's like, you know, it, it, it's a great introduction. And, and you know, the, the mystery aspect of it as well, you know, just like people are drawn into the mystery of, of characters like Cable or Wolverine or whatever it is, you know, you've got this mysterious aspect of it. It's like, wait, what What exactly did I just watch? Like, who is who? Like, I don't even know, you know, besides Comone and Rico, like, and, and this, you know, the, the, the main boss and everything, you know, you, you don't really, you know, besides Matsunaga, you don't know too many people's names yet. Yeah. Know? And and even, even the Kevin Arnold narration, I mean, even when I first saw this, <laughs> like, I know the answer to the narration, but when I first saw this, I went, well, wait a minute. We, we just met his girlfriend. What does he mean this is the first time he met his girlfriend? He's talking about this other chick that was, you know, trying to, like, shoot the monster behind him? Like, wh- how does she become his girlfriend? How does that happen? You know, so it's like your 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 mind is kind of racing with the possibilities. And, and you know, that's, I, I think, a, a sign of a good a good series where you start to question like what could happen you know what do i think would happen how many possibilities and and angles could this take you know so i i mean you know i i enjoyed it you know then and and i enjoy sort of revisiting it you know with with someone new like yourself now it's fun to share it with somebody else who you know isn't isn't in on all the answers but can also be sort of you know taken aback by you know well what 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 does it mean like what does this all mean well, yeah, I, I think we, we joke about this constantly. It's like, I may have gimed you where you're like, eh, I'll watch the fruit thing. Oh, I really like the fruit thing. Oh, my God, the fruit thing is awesome. And you, sir, may have nexus me. Nice, nice. Okay, cool. So, you know, we'll, I mean, obviously, you know, if this goes over swimmingly and, and, and we, we have opportunities to, to cover these shows again, I'm sure we will be you know, looking at episode two of Agito and Nexus, you know, sometime in the future. Oh, yeah, this, yeah. Was just, this was just, this was something we, we decided to do kind of as a lark, as a change of pace. And, and this was enjoyable and everything. I had a lot of fun revisiting Nexus and I had a lot of fun talking about Agito, especially Hikawa, you know, like he, I think for me, he's, he's the character in that series that I, I enjoyed the most. He's your boy. Yeah, your boy. so 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 he he was fun. I, I suppose that you know that wraps up the the episode. You know, obviously I like the introductory song to Ultraman Nexus a bit more than I like the outro song. It, you know, that one is sort of by a Japanese pop band. It's Itsumo Kokoro ni Tayo O, which is a sun is always in my heart. I say it's all on you over that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. The the pop band is called Uka Sagusa in DB is the the title of the pop band. But you know that I mean I I, I don't have I don't have any problem with that song, but it's not it's not exactly my jam. I kind of like <laughs> I kind of like the other one. So I will say if you guys enjoy just a different take on Toku Thursdays with a Gito or Ultraman, let us know in the comments if you want us to do more Ultraman or more different common writer shows. We are totally open to that. Just let us know your feedback. If you love Agito and you want to hear more about Agito, awesome. If you want to hear more about Nexus or any of the other Ultraman shows, Derek is a fucking pro on Ultraman. 
I'm doing pretty good on uh, Common Rider, so we we love doing Token Thursday. So just let us know what you think. Yeah, totally. We 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 would appreciate the the feedback and and you know as long as we we receive it in 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 a certain timey wimey timely manner, we can certainly adjust as we as we receive feedback and everything. So probably before the middle of 2016. Gaim will be over. We'll finish Gaim. It's 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 just what it is. We're gonna finish it. Don't worry, guys. Because I know I know some of you listeners love the Gaim thing, so we're not we're not giving up on it. If you like Gaim, hold on to it. Yeah, yeah, we're we're still trucking away with the guy. Derek, let them know all those wonderful things they can get to help us on. Well, they can obviously they can email us if if they want to you know provide that those comments and directions and all that kind of stuff at fanholespodcast at gmail.com and we are on stitcher radio we're on itunes we're on facebook we're on twitter we're on instagram we're on tumblr so we're on all those wacky crazy social media tools so you can contact us there Again, we not only do Toku Thursdays on Fan Holes, but we've got our Fan Holes podcast proper. We've got Sentai Saturdays, Transformers Tuesdays, and Mobile Suit Mondays. So you can check out any of those shows if you like this show. And that pretty much, I think, wraps us up. So I guess until the next time, this is going to be Derek, Derek WC, Schwa, signing off. This is Tony, and I'll make you some radishes. <laughs> You're a farmer, bro. You're a <laughs> farmer. No, I'm not. Shut up. <laughs> hey, as long as I'm not stuck in a fucking tree like that, I'll be a fucking <laughs> farmer all you want. Eat rashes all day, goddamn. <sighs> Maybe I'll, I'll farm that. My, uh, my, uh, my, uh, my, uh. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Oh, cool. she, she, she is too young. Hey, 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 hey. <laughs> she, she is 24 now. That yeah, show she's... was... Yeah, that show was in like 2001, so shut up, everyone. <laughs> yeah, she should be fine by now. She must be like 35 by now. Uh, yeah, not right. <laughs> oh. Now let me know when you're ready. Okay, I'm good to go. Alright. Um, I'll, I'll give you a lead on. Okay. <clears throat> Alright, hey guys. guys. Oh, oh, I was, oh, 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 you were going to do it. That's I'll fine. I'll give you a lead on. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <clears throat> oh, you're fine.